Our theme this morning is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And of course, without the resurrection of Christ, his sacrificial death uh, would fail to provide that ground for salvation from sin that we get to enjoy and come together and celebrate even today. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing that's ours to consider your word, to be fellowshipping in the saint, with the saints in the fellowship with uh, the church here this morning. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that indwells us and gives us uh, understanding into your truth to take this word and remove the veil and cause us to understand who you are, what you have done even through your Son, who died for us, yes, but has rose from the grave. Father, I pray this morning that you would impress upon us the hope that Christ's resurrection has for each one of us as believers. And Father, I pray that even this morning, the resurrection of Christ would impress upon any here this morning that are not yet known by you to understand their need for a Savior and the hope of self-reformation is going to end in destruction. Father, I pray that the gospel would be clear even today as we proclaim our risen Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 and following, verse 12 actually and following of, Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, and that is what we are preaching today. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and there are some there who say there is no resurrection from the dead. There might even be some here, oh, yeah, maybe there's a resurrection from the dead, but it's Easter Sunday, we're going to come to church. Well, Christ did rise from the dead, yet some claim that he did not, and that there is no future resurrection from the dead. Verse 13 then continues on, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Everything we've been doing as believers from the time of our salvation, even through today, we're here for a puff of smoke that goes up in the wind. There's no reason for us to be here. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. We are calling God a liar because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact Christ did not rise from the dead. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There is no hope. There is no resurrection. There's no hope for them. Verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only for the opportunity to gather around somebody's name, this Jesus Christ, if we're just here for a social club, if he hadn't actually raised from the dead, if we're just looking for some temporal hope in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Consider the biblical teaching regarding the work of Christ cannot end just with what we celebrated Friday night as Jake so well shared with us, the death of Christ on the cross. The Apostle Peter describes the Old Testament prophets seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Yet, even in the Old Testament mind, the display of Jesus' glory is most often associated 
with his coming to set up his kingdom and what we would call even today his second coming. Not necessarily his resurrection. They failed to see his suffering and subsequent resurrection. But remember that without a resurrection from the dead, the crucified Christ cannot return in glory. Remember what Christ himself said to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, verse 26. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? He had to suffer and be raised again to enter into his glory. Consider Job, the Old Testament suffering man under God's testing. He was yet so convinced and overcome by the fact of Messiah's resurrection and future glory that he became faint. Listen to what he says in Job 19, verse 25 and following. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. I was just talking with someone this week. Christ is coming back to put his feet on the Mount of Olives someday. He is coming to take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, after I turn to dust and ashes, Yet from my flesh, my resurrected flesh, I shall see God someday. Whom I myself shall behold, I'm going to see him with my own eyes, will see and not another. My heart faints within me. Job is so excited for that day to see our living Savior. On the day of Pentecost, some 40 days after, uh, some a few weeks actually, after Christ's resurrection, In Acts chapter 2, Peter himself repeats Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 22, and Peter's preaching here in Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and following, and even quotes from Psalm 110, again, just thinking back to the Old Testament mindset. Peter said, this Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Remember the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the disciples even that day. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but David himself says, and he's quoting from Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. In other words, the very fact that Messiah has taken his seat At the right hand of the Father, Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father on the throne in heaven. Christ is not yet sat on his throne, but sits next to God the Father's throne. It's proof that he has risen from the dead. He cannot be in the grave and be sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is, in fact, resurrected from the dead. His exaltation, what we would call the equivalent of his glory, It assumes that he's no longer in the grave. And, of course, David is not the one sitting at the right hand of the Father. It's very clear, even as we read Acts 2, that Peter understood that David was not speaking of himself, but of his future descendant, the greatest son of David, that is, Jesus Christ our Lord. All four gospel writers are unanimous in recording that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, Sunday. That's why we are here each Sunday, the Lord's Day, it's called. You see that in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. And then he appeared to over 520 persons over the next 40 days. And even as Ronaldo will get into this morning, the ascension of Christ into heaven. Consider, when Jesus rose from the dead, he experienced a bodily 
resurrection, entailing his full humanity. Even today, as he sits next to the Father in heaven, he can eat, he can be touched, he even has eternal scars in his hands, in his side, and his feet. You read in Revelation, the Lamb of God comes before God the Father's throne to take the title deed of the earth and break the seals and judge the earth. And he has the brand marks of a lamb having been slain. But he is back to life. He is resurrected. Jesus will forever be fully God and fully man. He is the last Adam, the head of the church, the representative head of all redeemed mankind. This fact of his continuing humanity is as significant for the accomplishment of redemption as is his continuing deity. He still is 100% man while being 100% God. Christ had to be man to represent believers in living a holy life on earth so that he could impute his righteousness to us to be our sacrificial substitute on the cross. He also had to be our leader through death, through death, yes, into resurrection. He is alive. Christ's resurrection achieved the following vast and glorious results. Just consider that there are doctrinal studies that could be done on each one of these following items. The fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, consider even from the Garden of Eden when the curses were given, Satan was promised to be crushed by the Savior. The fulfillment of Jesus' own predictions in the New Testament and the Gospels. Thirdly, confirmation of the Son's deity. Christ is God indeed. Fourth, the exaltation of the Father manifesting his perfections. The perfection of Jesus' obedience to his Father's will. Proof the Father uh, that the Father accepted the atoning work of Christ. He accepted his sacrificial, sacrificial death on the cross. Seventh, the provision of regeneration for the elect, those who, whose names were found in the book of life from before the foundations of the world, before God said, let there be light. There was a book published with my name in it and your name, the elect, those who were chosen of God. Uh, just the hope, the provision that was provided for you and I through his resurrection. We too could be regenerated. Number eight, assurance that believers will not perish due to their sins. Number nine, securing the justification of believers and assurance that they will never be condemned by God. Opening the way for Christ to send the Holy Spirit to indwell believers and form us into the church, the body of Christ. That's what we are here today, just one local manifestation of it. Number 11, declaration of Christ as the head of the church, ruler of creation. Another one, establishment of God's pattern of power in spiritually raising believers from spiritual death. Even though we were found in our trespasses and sins, we have been given new life and made new creatures in Christ. Number 13, motivation for spiritual living. Consider that since we are already positionally seated with Christ in heaven, that is where we are in Christ. And we are assured of being with him in glory. That should motivate you and I to live today for his glory, for his honor. Number 14, rendering of that mandatory, valid, and fruitful service 
for Christ is what his resurrection accomplished even through us. Number 15, the encouragement to establish that even today, Sunday, the first day of the week for worshiping Christ and serving him as we've gathered even today. Number 16, the establishment of an unshakable foundation for hope. Do you come this morning with a confident expectation that God is going to fulfill his promises, both of wrath on the world, the unbelieving world, and the unrighteous, the wicked, but the blessing, the promises to you and I as believers, that we will someday finally be set free from this body of death? Number 17, the guarantee of a future resurrection life for all believers. There is a hope beyond this world. Also, confirmation of the future fulfillment of the Davidic covenant where God said to David, I will have one of your descendants on my throne. That is Christ sitting on the throne of David in the coming millennial kingdom. Number 19, the guarantee that Christ will judge the world as part of being king of his coming kingdom. He is going to judge the world. And number 20, the glorification and exaltation of the Son with the glory that he once shared with the Father, that he shared with all eternity. The Trinity, Father, Son, and the Spirit. And the glory they shared as the Godhead, one God, Christ, that was resurrected once again to um, share in that glory that he had set aside for a time. I come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and just consider the resurrection of Christ and the future resurrection that we have and hope for, starting in verse 20. Now, Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul continued his argument to the Corinthians, uh, hoping to quiet those who would deny the resurrection of Christ. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And that's all believers are. When we die, we're just asleep. We are looking forward to being resurrected again. Uh, to eternal life, our bodies, that is, as our souls are with him, separated from the body immediately. But then verse 21, for since by a man came death, that is Adam, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. You drop down to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Our spirits will go and to be in his presence at the moment of death, but our bodies have to stay until they are resurrected and glorified and, and being able to be in the presence of God Almighty. Our bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless glorified, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. The church saints will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Whether you die or whether Christ comes today and we are caught up together with him, we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as quick as light reflects off the eye and twinkles back off uh, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. A victory led by Christ on this resurrection Sunday so many centuries ago. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law because Scripture says, even in Hosea 13, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God 
who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, not our Savior whose body is turned to dust, but our Savior who is risen. Verse 58, we have to close out this passage, and then we'll keep singing. Therefore, in light of Christ's resurrection, how should we live? My beloved brethren, be steadfast. The world is pushing in. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. No matter what anyone else does, you do the right thing. Knowing that your toil is not in vain. Christ is risen. Your toil is not in vain when you are working in the Lord. There exists no greater event in redemptive history than the resurrection of Christ. Because it completes and validates his sacrificial death. Advances the program of the kingdom yet to come that we look forward to with an eternally living king. The resurrection, it must be trusted in order for someone to experience salvation. What does Romans 10, 9 and 10 say? Very familiar to us. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So great a salvation we have to praise the Lord for even today.